There's all sorts of different opinions on the Bible. There's a variety of them expressed right there. But today we're going to look at the role of the Bible, the role that the Bible is intended to play in our lives. And just th- this message, what I kind of want to do with it is to give somewhat of a Bible overview in the first part of this message and then, and then um, let the Bible just speak for itself as far as the claims that it makes about itself and then try to tie that into what that has to do with us, how that applies to us in our lives. So just to start, um, let's just look at the, the Bible layout. And you've got a listening guide inside your, inside your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. The Bible is laid out um, like this. Um, it's a library. It's a library of 66 books. Okay? It's not just one book that you can just read from the front to the back with a sequential storyline like you might expect any other novel. But it actually, it's, it's this library that has pulled together 66 different books written by different authors at different times. And it's, we have, you know, that's what the Bible is made up of. It's a library. And so sometimes we approach the Bible without keeping in mind how it's laid out. And so it's very easy to misunderstand the Bible. It's very easy to misinterpret what God is saying to us in the Bible because we look at it just like any other book. And we treat it as such. And so just to, to start off, this is God's map for, for our GPS. This is how he's trying to guide us. We talked about this last week. He's trying to give us instruction and direction from the Bible. Um, it has two different divisions. Um, you may know a lot of this. You may all know all this, or you, this may be brand new for you. And so, um, but it has two divisions. It has an Old Testament and a New Testament. Okay. And the Old Testament, you know, makes up this this section right here. So it's the bulkier section, and the New Testament is is the the latter section. And <clears throat> a testament is a covenant. Okay. The word testament it, it can mean covenant. And so I've got a definition. Basically, we have an old covenant. There's an old covenant, and then there's a new covenant. It's what makes up the Bible. Here's the definition of covenant. I don't think we've got this for you on the screen, but this is out of a Bible dictionary that I've got. A covenant is a promise on the part of God to arrange his providences, his providences or, or the way that he's going to handle things. Okay? So it's a promise on the part of God to arrange his providences for the welfare of those who should render him obedience. Okay? It, it includes God's promises. That's what is made up. And that's what the Bible is made up of. So the first section, in a sense, is the older promises of God. Okay? The Old Testament, the Old Covenant. And then the New Testament is the newer covenant, or the newer promises that are, that are given to us through Jesus Christ. And uh, the Old Testament, to kind of focus in on each of the different parts, the first part of the Old Testament, it has 39 different books. Okay? 39 different books. Uh, my Bible is falling apart. I always try to buy Bibles that will last. And, you know, here's Genesis 1 and 2. And uh, I'm just going to set that there because it just always annoys me when it falls out. So um, I'd encourage you to really research what Bibles you buy. And make sure you get a good one with a good binding because I always have problems with this. But So the Old, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, has these 39 different books. And when I was a kid, I learned songs to memorize the books and the order of the books. And, and uh, 
I learned a lot about these different things growing up in the church, um, but it's interesting. These 39 different books were written not by one guy, but there was many different writers, many different people who were involved in, in writing these words down for us. And they were over a period of a thousand years. So there's different writers over a period of a thousand years. Okay? And the amazing thing there is that you've got all these different people who aren't necessarily connected to each other, coming from different cultures, and yet the message that they share about is the same. The God that they speak of is the same. Things are consistent running through these, these writers and what they have to say. Now that's something, that says something about the unity and God's hand to, to, to supervise what is happening in the Scripture. That the message remains the same. The God that's spoken of, He remains the same. If there was 39, different, you know, 39 members of our church here and, and we were going to write a book, and we said, you know, the book is going to be about, um, it's going to be a, a romance novel. I wouldn't be one of those writers. I can tell you that right now. I'm just not the most romantic character. But, you know, we take the 39 most romantic characters and we say, oh, let's come up with a book and here's the theme. You know, we're going to try to bring this point a- across. You know what's going to happen is we're going to have all sorts of shades and meanings and differences. And, and we're going to have 39 different books that probably will not tie together because... No one is necessarily supervising what's going on with the Bible. There really is these themes that run throughout the pages of Scripture that you can really see God's hand in it. So there's these different writers. Then the language um, is Hebrew. Mostly the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, is written in Hebrew. There's Aramaic is another language, which you find just a little bit of Aramaic in two passages of Ezra and some sections of the book of Daniel. And Aramaic is kind of a sister language to Hebrew. And I'm assuming nobody here speaks Hebrew, but um, I've got a Hebrew, uh, some Hebrew here for you, in case any of you want to translate for us. We can, uh, this is Genesis 1-1, so you can probably figure out what the first line there says. In, in, in Hebrew, you have, uh, you read from right to left, and so you'd start on the far right, and those symbols there are the uh, consonants. The little tiny markings that you see everywhere are the vowels. And in the original, in the original uh, manuscripts and the scrolls that we have these things, there was no vowel marking. So the vowel markings came later based on the context. There was these folks called the Masoretes that came in and they, they basically created the vowel points so we could figure out how to, how to really understand um, the language, the biblical language of Hebrew. But, um, you know, so basically it says, you know, what you'll find in Genesis 1.1. You know, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And you'd read it from the right to the left. And, uh, but this is, this is what you'd find in the Old Testament. We, you know, we hear things about the Bible. Oh, it's, it's poorly translated. Or how can we trust it because um, you know, there's so many different translations. You hear those kinds of arguments coming from people who don't uh, read Hebrew, though, most of the time. Um, and it's okay to have the questions. It's okay to have those arguments. Um, but then I think it's important to go and do some study on our own, try to figure out, does this stuff really line up? How does this stuff really translate then? So we're not going to go into translating in this right now, but um, just want to give you a feel for what the, what the language looks like. Okay, This is the, the biblical Hebrew language. And, and then there's different kinds of books. There's different types of books that you find in the Bible. Okay, um, here's, here's what they are for the Old Testament. There's history. Okay, history basically lays out what has happened in the past. It lays out how God has worked in the past in our lives, or in his people's lives. 
Then you have some books on the law. Uh, law is, you know, basically God's ways, some boundaries. The books of Leviticus and Numbers, they deal with law. And they basically tell us, or tell God's people, how to behave. And then how not to, to step out of line. Certain things were out of bounds, certain things were in bounds. So that's law. Sometimes you try to read through the Bible, and you're, you're into history. You start with history, because Genesis and Exodus, that's history. And it's making a lot of sense. There's a storyline, you're following characters, it's really interesting. And then you hit the next book, Leviticus. And you get kind of stalled out, because it doesn't read like history anymore. It's now law. And he starts talking about all these different things, and, and there's all these laws about what we're supposed to do, and you just kind of bog down in law sometimes. So if you're trying to read the Bible, it's important to understand there's different, there's different types of books. And so when you come to the law, you want to read it as law. So you can't look at it in the same way as history. So what I like to do is I like to read some law while I'm reading something else because law can be very dry. None of us read law books just as a novel. You, 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 know, you read it for what it is. So I just wanted to make that point. There's another type of uh, a book. There's devotional poetry. Devotional poetry. Uh, one book, the book of Psalms, is 150 devotional poems. And most of them were written by um, one of the kings of Israel, David. And in English, these books, the book of Psalms, it doesn't really seem very poetic. You can tell it's poetry, but it doesn't really have a rhyme to it like we would imagine in English. But in Hebrew, there is a poetic rhyme and rhythm to it. So you'd have to understand the language. You'd have to be able to, to read it in the original language to see that it, this, is, this is poetry. And, uh, and then there's another thing called wisdom poetry, which is the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. There's other sections that kind of fall into wisdom literature in the Old Testament. But wisdom literature is this practical sayings. It's advice about observations on real life. And God, again, he's supervising the writers of these books. So he's giving us practical advice. I'd encourage you, if you've never read through the book of Proverbs, maybe take um, a month, take one month, start it on the first of the month, and try to read one proverb a day for a month. There's 31 proverbs, and there's usually, a lot of our months have 31 days, so just try reading Proverbs 1 on, on you know, July 1st, and just read through the proverbs. And there's so much practical advice, things that we can apply to our life almost immediately, Sometimes you read scripture and you're like, well, I'm going to have to tuck that away for later use. With Proverbs, it's usually not the case. You can usually just apply some things to yourself. It's, you know, you don't like to go like this with the Bible. God, what are you trying to say? You know, aha, here's what I'm going to do with my day. Well, with the book of Proverbs, you can almost kind of go to, go to it and let him speak to you through the Proverbs because of the real practical nature. That's one of the only books that you could, and I'm not recommending that you take that approach, but if there were a book that, that really can stand alone and just give us some real good insight, that's the book of Proverbs. There's also prophecy. Uh, prophecy makes up some, a large portion of the Old Testament. Okay? And prophecy, is, it depends on uh, which, which book you're reading. Some of the prophets, um, God would speak through the prophets and he'd declare a message about what he was going to do or some warnings. Or, and so he would just speak about certain things. You deliver a message through a messenger. And it's pretty clear. It's easy to follow. But then some of the prophecies are about dreams and visions, and they're kind of hard to understand. And so why I bring this up is because if you're trying to get into the Scripture, because it's God's GPS, it's His map for guiding our life, 
it's important to understand, if I'm going to read poetry, then I need to read it like poetry. If I'm going to read prophecy, then I need to remember it's prophecy. So you read them like like the type of book that they are, in their literary type. You've got to keep in mind. And, and what I'd encourage you to do is try to figure out, if you, if you need some help, you know, get some help on this. Find out what, what are the breakdowns of these books in the Bible. Because when you come to a book that has a certain type, if you're unfamiliar with it, you can just kind of get frustrated and then you can set the Bible aside and say, you know what, that's just not for me. So, again, you want to kind of give yourself a well-balanced um, diet as you're getting into the Scripture by understanding these different types. There's a really a focus in the Old Testament. And there's a two, two-part focus, okay? The focus is this. It's the relationship between God and His people. And secondly, it's the preparations for Jesus Christ's coming. That's the focus of the Old Testament. It shows this group of people that God draws to Himself, the people of Israel, and how He begins to relate to them in a very personal way. And you see how they live in line with what He says, and then He blesses their lives. And you see times when they step out abounds or they just flat out ignore God altogether and then they see some consequences because of their disobedience. But you see this relationship between God and his people throughout the Old Testament. And you experience you see people experience good things as they walk with God. And what you often see is God recovering or restoring or reaching out to his people and just saying, Come back. Come back to me. You've strayed away, now come back to me. But you really see this relationship. That's the focus of the Old Testament. God and His people. And then secondly, there's this, the preparation of Jesus Christ and His coming. So at the same time of watching the storyline of God and His people, in different times and in different places in the Scripture, what you see is future talk of someone who is coming. Someone who is going to come from God to deliver His people. To do something new and fresh. Talking about the person of Jesus Christ. God Himself. Because that was the key part of God's plan was to send his own son to the earth. So that's, that's the Old Testament, okay? 39 books, got different language than we're used to, got different literary types. Then you come to the New Testament, okay? Which the New Testament, the break is God sends Jesus, okay? Jesus comes to, the, to, to earth to live among us, to walk with, 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 with people, God's people and people who are far from God got to relate to Jesus Christ. God, and he came as a man, fully, 100% as a man. At the same time, time he was 100% God, which is, it blows our mind because none of us are like him. But so you have Jesus. He is um, the focus of the New Testament. And just some things before I really get to the focus there is there's these different writers again. The writers of the New Testament are mostly within... Jesus' closest uh, circle of influence. He influenced a few or a group of men known as the disciples. Some of them later became known as the apostles who'd been sent out to carry out God's work. And so most of those apostles were involved in, or some of those apostles were involved in writing the New Testament over a period of about 45 years, from about 80, 45 to 80, 90. And what you have is, so in the New Testament, again, you don't have this... Uh, you know, you don't have a group of people coming together and writing the New Testament. What it is, is it's a collection of, of the books that came out of that period of time that God had inspired to communicate to us. 
different language comes up in the New Testament because at that point there was a really a Greco-Roman era, and so um, the language that was spoken and um, well, the language that that was common to those people in those days was Greek, uh, a certain kind of Greek called Koine Greek, no longer used. We not we, but people nowadays um, use modern Greek, but in those in those times, it was Koine Greek, means common Greek. Here's a slide just showing what Greek looks like. This is a this is um, this is the Gospel of John. Okay, up at the top where it looks like it says kata, that actually means according to, and then it says John there. Ioannin is John, and <clears throat> you can basically read this from the left to the right. Okay, and the interesting thing about Greek, again. It's, it's hard to understand because the vowels are actually letters. They're actually part of the, you know, they're not little pointings anymore, but there's no space between the words. So it's kind of confusing. You're like, wow, is it just one big blob of stuff? So again, you have to understand the language to really interpret what, what it's saying. So it says, you know, in the beginning, and it just basically says, in the beginning, hold on, I want to translate this different. In the beginning was the word, okay? And I'm not going to read it in Greek, but but what you have is these these words that flow together, okay? And in English, we get a very clean translation. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. But in this, it translates somewhat out of order. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was was with the its direct object God and God was the word. So there's a word there's a there's a uh, there's a flip a little bit in the order. Same thing happens in Hebrew. They always put the verbs first in Hebrew and then they tell who who did the verb. And so sometimes we get really uh, we hear the arguments about how the Bible is interpreted incorrectly. Um, but it often comes from people who don't study the language. But those who study the language, the scholars who pour over the original languages and come up with these translations, they're experts in their field. This is what they do. They study original languages that are dead. They're no longer changed. And so that's what makes the Bible so unique is you can study it because it's kind of, it's, it's held in time. It's not changing. Our language changes. You know, certain words we say in English, and you don't use words Certain words you just don't use anymore, and you you know what I mean. Certain words they mean something totally bad or totally inappropriate that you could use 40, 50 years ago. But in in the biblical languages, they're just suspended in time, so you can really study to get the heart of what they're saying. And, and so, again, these make for fascinating studies. You know, some people are just wired to study languages. If that's you, you know, I'd encourage you. Pick up a book on basic Greek, basic Hebrew, and try to, you know, maybe get your mind around some of these things. But then there's some different types of books, just like in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there's three types. There's history, there's letters, and there's, there's prophets, prophecy. Um, history, you have the first four books of the New Testament, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then the book of Acts, the fifth book, is a history as well. Okay, And these books were all written... Matthew was written by, um, history tells us, and the early church confirmed that Matthew, the, um, the disciple of Jesus Christ, the one who was a tax collector 
and turned his heart towards the Lord Jesus, he wrote and was an eyewitness to many of these things. And so he wrote the Gospel of Matthew. Mark was written by a guy named Mark, who, who was kind of a, uh, a companion of, of Peter, one of Jesus' closest. And then there was Luke. Luke's written by a guy named Luke, who was a Gentile Christian and a friend of Paul's. These are all people you, um, I just, in case you're wondering about these, who these people are. John is, is um, the Apostle John. He's one of the closest, again, to, to Jesus. And so these different writers, they were eyewitnesses of these things. Some of them, they learned the stories from their closest friends, and they, they added books, they added to what they were saying. But again, God was supervising what was saying. The things that are written in the New Testament, they, they never violated what came up in the Old Testament. They worked together, but things pointed towards the coming of Jesus Christ. So then in the New Testament, you have all sorts of explanation and clarifying of, of what's this really mean for us. So you have 21 different letters. Um, these are all letters from the apostles. And they were letters to explain what Jesus had done. What was the significance? They also dealt with a lot of problems. So churches have issues that come up. We have problems in churches because there's people in churches. And we all are problem people. We all struggle with different things. And things come up and we've got to deal with them. And so what the early church leaders did is they would address problems in letters. And those letters were inspired by God to give instruction for future. So we get instruction on how to lead this church from something that was written, you know, some of these books written 19, uh, 2000, almost 2,000 years ago, dealing with problems that came up in churches in those days that are common problems, common issues, okay? That's how we get our instruction. And God, again, he's working through this stuff. And then there's prophecy. One book of prophecy, the book of Revelation, written by a guy named John again. He's the author of the Gospel of John. It's pretty difficult to understand. It's very symbolic, telling of future things, the end of the world, and what God is going to do. And here's the focus. The New Testament focus is this. Simply, how to walk with God through Jesus Christ. That's the focus. How do I walk with God through Jesus Christ? So if you're just beginning to relate to Jesus, you've begun a relationship with Him, and you want to figure out, how do I do that? How do I walk with God? Start in the New Testament. Start in the New Testament, because that, that's, that's the focus. How do I get to know what it means to really walk with God. That's what you're going to find there. <clears throat> so that's the layout of the Bible. All sorts of opinions, though, on what the Bible is all about. And, you know, it's a great collection of books, but it's ancient. It's outdated. It can't be trusted. And so there's all these things that you saw in the video. That's why it's important to just let the Scripture speak for itself. See what it actually says. Um, I'm just going to look at a few statements from some key Bible figures to, just to show how God is speaking through the pages of Scripture. Um, Matthew chapter 22, verse 43. Jesus is telling a story. And I'm just going to highlight a bunch of quotes of quotes from the Old Testament. Okay, I'm just going to move through these very quickly. Jesus is speaking to a group of people, and it says, He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. The context of this statement here is some, they were asking Jesus, well, whose son is, is the Christ? Is, is the, the coming Messiah, who is he? Whose son is he? And they said, you know, they were saying, David, we think it's the son of David. So Jesus says, well, 
How is it then that David, saying this a thousand years ago, he made this statement. How is it that he's saying, you know, my Lord. He, and this message isn't about this passage, but I want to just show you how David is guided by the Spirit of God to say what he's saying. There's this comment here. Jesus says, well, then how is it that David, speaking by the Spirit, was asking or was saying, Lord, when he's speaking about the future Messiah? The significance there is that, is that God was speaking through these men in the past, the men who wrote the Bible, these Old Testament writers. And Jesus is, is making the statement, but we can learn from it, gosh, the Holy Spirit was working through these men. Um, so Jesus was a witness of that. Peter and the disciples, there's these different witnesses. Peter and the disciples, Acts 1.16. Jesus has already died and he'd risen from the dead and he's ascended into heaven. And there's a man named Judas who betrayed Jesus. And Judas, you know, he was one of the closest to Jesus. He's one of the twelve. He betrayed his master, handed him over for 30 pieces of silver to be crucified. And he felt so bad and so guilty. The scripture says he went and hung himself. He went and hung himself. He died. But that whole occurrence, the fact that he was betrayed and that Judas hung himself, that whole thing was prophesied about back in the Old Testament. And so in Acts 1.16, Peter, he gets up and he says, he says, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke about long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. So basically, they're going to go and they're going to replace Judas here. And they're going to put a different person to, to lead in Judas's place. But again, I want to point out how Peter's saying, the Holy Spirit spoke this long ago through David. Again, when you're reading these words, it's not just David's opinion on things. This is God. This is the Holy Spirit speaking through these writers. You have all these witnesses in the New Testament that they're basically saying, this stuff is God's word. This is really coming from God. Another witness is, is Paul. Paul was a man who he adamantly opposed Christianity. He was a persecutor of the church. He would get letters to drag Christians out of their houses and to kill them. That was what he was on a mission to do. And then God met him. <clears throat> Jesus Christ met him, appeared before him, and changed his life. And then he became one of the key leaders of the Christian church. Well, in a statement here, Acts 28, 25, and 26, <clears throat> he's speaking to a group in Rome. And again, he references an Old Testament verse. And he says this. He says, they, be, they disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet. And then he goes into a long quote there from the book of Isaiah. Again, this is he's referencing Isaiah, one of the Old Covenant or the Old Testament prophets. And he's saying, the Holy Spirit spoke this through Isaiah. There's this consistency in the Scripture, in the New Testament, where the, the writers who witness these things, they're saying, the Holy Spirit spoke through this person. So these old, they're, they're putting their stamp of, this is God's Word on the Old Testament. This is the Holy Spirit speaking through it. Last example is just the writer of Hebrews. Um, the writer of Hebrews, same thing. The book of Hebrews kind of looks at what Jesus did and how it ties in the Old Testament to what Jesus did. Hebrews 3, 7, and 8. It says, So as the Holy Spirit says, Today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts 
as, if, as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert. This is a quote of Psalm 95, referencing, um, referencing a verse from, from the psalm. So the writer of Hebrews there, he, again, he's saying the same thing. The Holy Spirit spoke this back in the psalms. So all the New Testament writers basically were saying, when we look at the Old Testament, we see this is God. This is God speaking through these men. The claim is that the Bible isn't just a good book, but that it's actually his word. Then you've got in the New Testament, you've got these different statements. You've got, uh, I'm going to bring up four statements about, about what the scripture claims about itself. First thing is God spoke through the prophets and, the, and Christ. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Basically, <clears throat> in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets and at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. So he's saying, you know, these, these guys in the past, in Jesus Christ, that's God's word to us. What he said was God's word. Scripture has its origin in God. It's not just that it, it um, we get a little confused, I think, because the word inspiration comes up when you talk about Scripture. Scripture is inspired by God. But the English word, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago, the English word for inspired doesn't quite get the feel for what the, the, <clears throat> what the original language really is trying to communicate. Inspiration can mean different things for us. You know, a certain movie can really inspire us. You know, certain foods can really inspire us to, to ride or to do different things. Or we can get inspired by all sorts of things. Well, this word here, you know, really means that God is, is supervising the actual things that are penned. He's very much in this process, watching over every word that is being written. Second Peter 1.21 says, for, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And the process, it really looked different for the different writers. Some of them, they, they did research to come up with what they wrote. But God was watching over that whole process. Others had direct encounters with God himself, and they wrote down what they saw. And God was very much involved in that entire process. Other people just pulled together histories. But what you see is God was carrying along through the Holy Spirit these authors to speak his word for that point in time into the future. To be timeless. So that people at any age could really be able to open this book up and hear from God. To hear what God has to say to direct their lives. The thing is, Scripture is, in, is exhaled by God. It's exhaled. This is the, the Bible makes this statement about how God exhaled the Scripture. Literally, this word theophneustos means God breathed. He breathed these words out through these writers. Second um, Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed. Okay? He exhaled these words. All of it. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I see a few people laugh, or smiling because I have a, we have a small group and we've memorized this verse, so they're all making sure that it's that we've got this down. But, uh, you know, it's been breathed out by God. He exhaled these things. 
Now, this is a supernatural process. And I know when you look at it, you think, man, that's just a little sci-fi for me. That's a little fishy, you know. It just seems too fishy. I would say that what's more impossible to, you know, what seems more unbelievable is to believe that God created anything at all, out of nothing. That God spoke things into existence. If you believe that there's a God who spoke things into existence at his command, then believing that he can guide writers to communicate his message is, is not, it's not a huge you know, step. That's, that's, that's small for God. Because God isn't like us. He can pull things off in the supernatural realm that we just can't get our minds around. Uh, just one last thing is, another statement in the, in the New Testament is that Paul's writings are scripture. I'm just going to skip this one right here, but Paul's writings are scripture. Peter, he's talking about what Paul said in this passage in 2 Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> skip to the next slide. He's saying, you know, you've heard about what Paul says, you know, and he's, but he refers to Paul's writings as scripture. These things get distorted, but he's saying, this is scripture, just like the scriptures of the past, which is very interesting that Peter would make a statement like that. He recognized that God was inspiring or, or had exhaled his word to, to certain people. So what you get is this. The view of the Bible is, is, is simply that God speaks through it. That's the view of the Bible. God is communicating to us through this book, this library of books. If you want to get to know God, then you've got to get into the Bible for yourself. There's no way to grow apart from getting into the Scriptures for yourself. Digging in, taking a little bit at a time and digging in and just beginning to let God speak to you. Trying to understand it. If you've not decided to follow Christ and you're still mulling on what that would look like, then um, I encourage you to dig into the Scripture. See if God will speak to you and begin to, to confirm who He is to you. No one else can do this for you. No one else can feed, spoon feed you how to walk with God without you taking initiative, if you're a follower of Christ, to, to get into the Scriptures for yourself. <clears throat> if you decide to just close yourself off from this book, from what he said and how he's spoken, then you basically, we're shutting ourselves off from his guidance. We're turning off the GPS and we're saying, I, I got this. I don't need direction. I'm, I'm in control. And just, you know, some things about his word. His ways, God's ways are counterintuitive. They are not like our own ways. They are counterintuitive. And our well-being depends on walking in the ways of God. But it's important to understand that His ways are counterintuitive. They do not come naturally to us. The things that come natural are oftentimes flipped upside down in God's, with God's perspective. He sees things different. He has a different plan. He has a different way of working things out. Look at Isaiah 55, 8 9. It says, For my thoughts, this is God speaking, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways, they are not your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Basically saying, you know, we don't think on the same page. You know, sometimes you miss, if you're married, sometimes you miss each other in marriage. You're speaking two different languages. Some people are looking around like, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know? God's ways are just very different than, than ours. To the point to where we're like, man, I don't, I don't get what he's trying to say here. And so we have to let him speak to us. We have to give him time. 
And we have to oftentimes just apply what he's saying, what he's saying, and then he begins to clarify why he said it. He doesn't have to just tell us. He doesn't have to sort it all out for us. He just does things that are counterintuitive. This week I got a letter that gave me some bad news. It said the funding, we started the church a couple years, or a year and a half ago, and the letter said your funding is about to run out and your insurance is about to run out. And I read the letter and I kind of sat back in my chair. And I was like, oh man. And I started really thinking about what that would mean and just what I've got to do now to figure this whole situation out. And I turned and I saw this book on my floor that said money management. And I was like, I was about to reach for it and God convicted me. And, and I realized that I was trying to figure out how to make this thing work. And that, that's so much like what we do in life. And, and God's, God really just said, just pray. You know, and as I began to pray, I opened, um, he reminded me of a psalm that I had recently read, Psalm chapter 5, and uh, I'm going to read this to you. <clears throat> it says, give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my sighing, listen to my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray, in the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice, in the morning I lay my requests before you, and I wait in expectation. And I, I tell you, I was sitting there and I read this and I thought, you know, this is, this is, this is how I've got to approach this situation. And everything else in my life that is out of my control. I've just got to bring it to God. And to trust that the God of the universe that, has, that I have a relationship with is real. And He cares about me and He'll provide for me. But I've got to bring things before Him and then I'm supposed to look in expectation to wait upon Him. And not try to work things out on my own, but to truly understand that He can provide. We've seen this. God recently, um, my wife is expecting our third child, and, and it came somewhat of as a shock to us. But two days before we found out we were, she was pregnant, um, my friend, my mentor, Randy, pastor, who I served at his church, he gave me his minivan. And he, he said, he gave it to me, and he said, um, you know, we want you to have this. And uh, we didn't know why we needed a minivan, you know. But just before that, we had been talking about a larger car and just praying, God, could you provide a larger car? We were praying, God. To... And so when that happened, it was really like an answer. We saw the answer. We saw how God was working. But his ways are really counterintuitive. I could have found a way to get a larger car on my own time with my own plans. But God, God works this stuff out if we'll trust him. He really will. He works this stuff out. What we've got to do is we've got to submit our whole ways to him, doing it his way completely. And not half-heartedly and then work in the rest of our plan. We've got to commit our whole way to Him. He really will work. The last thing is our happiness hangs in the balance. If this stuff is right, if this is true, if God's Word is true, and He has really spoken through this, then, then our happiness hangs in the balance of us lining up our life with what He said in the pages of Scripture. If it's wrong, then you could do whatever you please. But if it's right, then it's important to get a hold of what God says. Ecclesiastes 2.26 says, To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. You get this picture here that God provides for those wisdom, knowledge, happiness to those who please Him, to those who live in a way that's in line with His Word and pleasing to Him. That is backwards from the way that we think. 
And it's important to catch this. Please, God. How do we do that? We live in line with what he says. All of us have things right now that are pressing in our lives. And what I'd encourage you to do is to not try to deal with those things naturally, with your own intuition, but to view all of those things, all of that pressure that you're facing right now, view that stuff through the eyes of God. Because he's communicated what his ways are. We can view these. We can view our lives and all that pressure through what he said, if we'll trust him with our whole hearts. Let's, let's go to him in prayer. Father, thank you so much for what you have said through the, through the, the Bible. Thank you, God, that it's complete, that it is not lacking anything, and that, God, you've answered all of our questions. You've given us a plan for living. You've given us boundaries to bless us. You've given us some guardrails to protect us. God, we've all got pressure right now. I know everyone here has, has things they're trying to work out, things they're trying to figure out. And um, God, naturally, we all want to look to ourselves, within ourselves for answers. And God, I just pray that we would recognize that you, you have the answers. You hold them and that you, you're waiting to communicate them to us. God, would you, if there are any here that just have never gotten into the scripture, would you give them the ability to, to understand what you're saying through the pages of, of the Bible? And Lord, if, if um, would you also connect people here with, with others who, who can maybe help them get clarity on what you've communicated? Thank you, God, for the wisdom you give us through, through the Bible. Help us, Lord, to, to uh, not leave it on a shelf, but to really pick it up and to dive into it. In Jesus' name, amen.